praise you and to worship you. And I thank you that we can come together in openness and again celebrate who you are. No restrictions right here, Lord. And we just thank you that we can come and we can praise you. We can worship you. And we know as our praises are, are raised heavenward that, that the, the angelic beings and the Lord himself inhabits our praises. And as we praise you and worship you, your spirit begins to reign and rule all throughout the earth. And I just pray, God, that you would keep our minds and hearts on you. We would praise you continually. We'd worship you continually. We'd thank you. And we'd, we'd look at all the incredible things that you've done for us. Father, we're, we're, we're faced with many challenges right now. But we thank you that you ultimately are in control. This, none of these events took you by surprise. You knew everything that was going to happen. And, and I just pray that you'll help us to keep our focus on you, the author and finisher of our faith. And God, that you would build us, give us peace, that you would give us joy that transcends all these other things. And God, that the peace of God that passes comprehension would guard our hearts and minds that we've not been given the spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind. We rebuke fear. Fear has no place no place in this nation, has no place in our church, has no place in our lives because you have overcome the world. So we just focus anew on you today and praise you and worship you. And we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Before we do the message, I just want to um, make some comments. Our, our world has always been full of prejudice, okay? It works its way out in many different ways. Racism is one of those things. Um, I grew up in, in mainly in the, in, grew up in Japan and then grew up in mainly in the Middle West and we didn't have a lot of cross, uh, cross racial experiences. Uh, but we had prejudice against older generation, younger generations, economic prejudice, just anybody that's different than us and they operate differently, whatever. There's, a, there's something inside of the human heart that, that um, does that. We, we judge and, and whatever. And, so, and, and knowing this, that all of us have inside of us this human tendency to judge or be prejudiced against somebody for whatever reason. They might be richer than us or poorer than us or who it doesn't know. They may be a different race or they operate differently. Um, but the issue, is, the issue is one of the heart. Um, I heard a pastor, the pastor in Kenosha that did a, did a praise service out there this, this week, and he said, we don't have a race problem. We have a sin problem, and all of us have sin. And I thought that was incredible. And this African-American pastor seeking to bring peace in the midst of turmoil. And so when we know that's the issue, the bottom line issue, then we know the answer, of course, is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. And the answer is prayer. And so, so continue to look at that and remember that, that this has all existed before. But our battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's not against this person or that group or this or whatever. It's against the enemy who's out to seeking to kill, steal, and destroy. And so when we battle him, we battle him in the heavenlies, in the heavenly realm, 
which is by prayer, praise, worship, our witness, many, many different ways. So anyway, that's, that's just the first sermon today. So anyway, just be encouraged. I want to invite you to come with me this morning to Palestine. It's 34 A.D. It's a lazy spring day, and we are sitting on a grass-covered slope, a foothill leading to Mount Hermon, which is a small mountain in Galilee. It's late in the afternoon, and the warm sun is beginning its descent down to your left. Around you, the, the long grass, in the long grass, there are dots of bright colors and spring flowers. There's a light breeze that's blowing the tops of the grass back and forth. You can see birds flitting here and there all around you. In the distance to the north, you can see Mount Hermon with its white snow-covered peak. Below us, below us is a sleepy town called Nain. Nain. Nain was once a, a busy, bustling town, but economic times had changed in Nain. Now it was just trying to survive. In this idyllic setting, there is tragedy, death to be exact. You hadn't known him, just who he was. His father had died when he was young, and now him. He was an only child, and so he left his mother, already a widow, Absolutely alone. We watch now as we see the beginnings of a funeral procession. They will leave the house and take the son's body in a procession outside the city to the burial grounds. The mournful sounds of a flute and mourners' voices drift up to you as you watch. These are the people of the town giving their last respects in a last sorrow-filled parade. Suddenly, you hear something else. It begins softly in the distance and, and grows louder. It sounds like singing, laughter, boisterous jesting, all at the same time. And, and it strikes you as very inappropriate and irreverent. Your first impulse is to find the source of this noise and tell them to be quiet so as not to disturb this solemn occasion. You look far down the road to your right, and you see the source of all the noise. People. Lots of people. They seem to be following a certain group of 10 or 12 men, one of whom seems to be the source of the loudest singing, dressed like, what? A fisherman? Way up here? This was a study in contrast. A parade of joy and expectation in life, heading straight for Nain, and a funeral procession, a parade of sorrow and death coming out of Nain. Life and death on a collision course. Let's find out what happened as we look at the power of life. The power of life. If you'd like to turn with me to Luke's, the seventh chapter. Luke 7. We're going to read the story. Luke 7, starting with verse 11.
Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Now, what possible relevance could this event in the first century have to do with us in this century? This story reveals how Jesus Christ, the Son of God, dealt with sorrow and grief and death. He demonstrates the character of the the God that we worship and believe in, the initiatives and the actions that God takes when we face challenges of all types. Our life's challenges will vary in intensity and severity, but God always acts on our behalf. Now, in this particular story, we have two crowds, one celebrating life, the other commemorating death. What did Jesus do then, and what will Jesus do today? Let's look at six actions of Jesus. Six actions of Jesus. The first action is that Jesus met the woman at her time of greatest need. Jesus met the woman at her time of greatest need. The woman in the story was already a widow, losing her husband before. Now she lost her only son. Not only was she dealing with permanent loss, permanent separation and loss of a loved one, she was also facing total destitution, left without a male protector or a provider. Back then, they didn't have life insurance. They didn't have Social Security. And there were no, absolutely no jobs for women in the first century. Her only hope to survive was that her son would grow up and care for her. And now, he was gone. This was the greatest possible tragedy a woman could possibly face. She had lost everything, family, companionship, financial and material support and security. Her family line had ended, which was catastrophic, especially considered catastrophic for Jews. The worst possible circumstance for a woman in first century Palestine. And here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus. Now, I do not believe in accidents or chance meetings. The timing here was too unusual. I believe Jesus knew and had decided that he had an appointment outside Nain that day. You know, Jesus meets us, too, in our greatest time of need. What is, what is your greatest need today? Just ask a question. Just take a look at your life. What is your greatest need? You may be in that place right now. Maybe it's financial hardship or marital conflict, crisis at your job, unemployed, close to it, family members that are in some kind of crisis, facing issues in parenting. Maybe it's disease or sickness, this whole COVID pandemic thing that we've all been dealing with. Maybe the death of someone you love. Maybe facing the future and just being totally depressed and wondering, how in the world can I get out of this pit? 
Or maybe you don't have a great physical or financial need. Maybe it's a spiritual need, a certain temptation or a particular sin. Or maybe it's just a, a, a gnawing of emptiness in your heart or soul. And sometimes I, I speak to people who say they have no needs. They have no needs. Not very often, but they have no needs. And maybe our greatest need is dealing with spiritual pride, saying we don't have needs. Jesus said to the church in Laodicea, because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and need nothing, you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Some of us, by our denial of needs, claims of self-sufficiency, actually reveal our poverty or our real desperate need of God. So what is your need today? Jesus is here. Jesus is here in the house, not in the physical way that we can see him, but he's here in a very real way. And Jesus will meet you at your greatest time of need. Number two, Jesus felt what the woman felt. In verse 13, it says, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. Isaiah 53.3 says, in a prophecy about the Messiah, Jesus, it says, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Not only did Jesus experience all the feelings we experience, he had perfect empathy. Empathy. Empathy is the ability, the ability to feel another person's feelings, to identify with them so fully that we can understand because we feel what they feel. Now, human beings have varying degrees of empathy. Some have a lot of empathy, some not so much. And we, we know that because people are different, different gifts. But Jesus could actually feel what the woman felt. This was not a compassion of, I feel sorry for you. This was a deep compassion of shared sorrow. He perfectly felt her pain. In Hebrews 4.14, it says, For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus felt every emotion, anger, resentment, grief, despair, faithlessness, the why me's, something we all do every once in a while. Why me? Why me? I lost my husband, now my own son. Why? We have a God who became one of us, and because of that, Jesus feels what you feel. Jesus feels what you feel. And Jesus has an appointment this morning to meet you at your greatest need because he feels what you feel. Jesus understands your pain, your confusion, feelings of powerlessness, all of those things. He actually feels that with us. Jesus feels what we feel. Third, Jesus comforted her. Verse 13 says, don't cry, do not weep. Now, you have to ask the question, what gave Jesus the right to say, do not cry? What gave him the right to say, do not cry? Has anyone ever said that to you? Don't grieve, don't cry. Jesus doesn't invalidate her sorrow. He doesn't deny her pain. Jesus doesn't naively pretend it doesn't exist. He's well acquainted with the widow's so what, what gives him the right to say, don't cry? Jesus knows the future. Jesus knows the future. 
He knows what he's going to do. And because he knows our future, he knows what he's going to do. He says to us, do not grieve. Do not grieve. Do not grieve. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. A hope and a future. One of the things that is denied us in many ways today in the COVID pandemic, there are people that are just giving up hope. They don't see a future. Many young people, Something like 25% of 19 to 24-year-olds have contemplated suicide in the last three months. No hope. No hope. Jesus says, I've given you hope and a future. He has plans for you. We live in the now and have no concept of how God can make sense of it. But whether he raises the dead or heals the broken heart, mourning the dead, Jesus has the power and he knows your future. One of the interesting parts of this story is that no one asked Jesus to do anything. Nobody asked Jesus to do anything. There was no great display of faith. There was no display of hope. Jesus was motivated purely by compassion. And you know, sometimes God acts in spite of us, in spite of our anger, grief, fear, or resentment, Sometimes in, in spite of our lack of faith or trust, he still takes action. Just because of his compassion. That, that's grace. That's grace. Not earned, not deserved. It's grace. So Jesus comforted her. And number four, Jesus touched her point of pain. Jesus touched her point of pain. In verse 14, it says, He came up and touched the coffin and those carrying it stood still. This was a great symbolic action. That coffin represented all the pain and sorrow the woman is experiencing. Jews were forbidden to touch the dead. If you were touched the, the coffin, that meant you were polluting yourself. It was part of their ceremonial law, so you weren't supposed to touch coffins. You know what? Jesus didn't care. Jesus didn't care. It didn't stop him. Jesus touched the dirt, the filth, even the death of humanity because that is where the hurts were. That is where the hurts were. Jesus does not care how unclean we are, how dirty we are, what sins we've committed. Jesus will still touch our pain. Touch is something that's very powerful. It's very powerful. Put an arm around someone. Give a hug. Hold someone that's in pain. When my children were young and they hurt themselves and they came to me, what did they want from me? A lecture? A lesson on bike safety? You know, we think, I'm going I'm to fix this somehow. No. They just wanted me to hold them, to, to touch them. That's all we need sometimes. The touch of Jesus is something far greater than human touch. When the God of the universe touches something, when Jesus touches someone, life happens. Life happens. It's the power of life. The power of life. 
And we find that the fifth action of Jesus is Jesus gave life. Jesus gave life. Death was coming out of the village. It collided with the giver of life. And the result was not death. The result was life. Life. Jesus gave life. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. I, I wondered, I wondered when it said he started to talk, I wondered what he was talking about. <laughs> Who knows? He, it's like he just came alive. So what's, you know, he st- says he started to talk. Okay? That was probably great proof that he was alive. But Jesus just said the word. There was no elaborate ceremony. There was no music playing. It was simply, profoundly, just the words of God. Get up. Get up. All the power in the universe was behind those words. Those two words. All the power in the universe was behind those two words. Get up. The same word from God created the entire universe in less than a millisecond. Put the stars and planets in space. Placed the earth in orbit. Created the heavens and earth and sun and moon. Separated the lands from the sea. The word of God. And you know, we have... The Word of God today in print, in electronic form. These are the words of the living God. God. Jesus is Lord over life and death, and even the spirits in the spiritual realm obey Him. He commanded the man's spirit to return to his body, and he sat up and spoke. That same powerful Word is available to you and to me today. It may not be physical death. It may not be a physical need. Maybe death to dreams, death of a relationship, death in vision. Death comes in many forms. But whatever your need, Jesus gives life. Where are you today? Wherever you are today, whatever your need, maybe you have just never known Jesus personally. Maybe you're just here exploring spiritual things and there's a vague emptiness. Maybe you have a health crisis, a financial need, a spiritual weakness. Maybe you're just tired. Maybe you're just tired. Jesus gives life. Gives life. And the sixth action of Jesus we find here is Jesus restored relationship. Jesus restored relationship. Jesus gave him back to his mother. She had lost him. She had experienced the pain of permanent separation, and Jesus brought him back. There is nothing on earth more valuable than a relationship. And there's nothing more painful than broken relationship. And no matter the circumstances or cause of that, brokenness, Jesus can heal it. He can heal it. Jesus has the power to restore relationship. Maybe it was a fight that was never reconciled, a a friend or with children, parent or relative, maybe another church member. Maybe it's a restoration of a wayward son or daughter, restoration of a marriage relationship. Jesus has the power to restore relationship. He can bring people back together. The most important relationship that Jesus restores is our relationship with God our Father, our spiritual Father. That's why Jesus came in the first place. 
His whole life was about seeking those alienated from God, making the way to bring us to God. And if you're here this morning and you have never known a personal, intimate relationship with God the Father, you can. You can today. That's why Jesus came. The people declared at the end of this, they said, God has come to help his people. Yes, he has. That's why he came. A God who knows, a, a God who cares, a God who gets involved, a God who helps. Where are you today? Where are you today? Jesus will meet you at your time of greatest need. Jesus feels what you feel. Jesus wants to comfort you. Jesus will touch your point of pain. He'll bring life and he will restore a relationship. And if you have never had a relationship with God established, I'm going to invite us all today to bow our heads for just a moment and pray, pray this silently as I pray it aloud because the whole purpose of Jesus' coming was to restore a relationship with God the Father. You can pray this prayer silently. Lord Jesus, I need you. I understand you came in love to restore my relationship with God. I admit I cannot do so on my own. Thank you that you, Jesus, came and died for my sins, and then you rose again. I am turning my life over to you. Come in and take charge. Restore my relationship with God. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, please talk to me or someone you know who already has that relationship with God. They need to hear it, and you need to tell it. And if you have additional questions on the back of our program, we have ecwesleyan.net backslash next, which has some resources to help explain what that's all about. And I'd encourage you to go to that site. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are God who cares about every part of our lives. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would continue to teach us about your grace, your love, and how much you care. It's no accident that we are all here today. And I just pray that, Jesus, you would meet each one of us at our point of need today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, shall we?